It's The Gray Zone, coming to you from the People's Forum in New York City. I'm Aaron Maté, here with another Maté. His name is Gabor. Uh, he is a physician, an expert on uh, childhood trauma, mental health, chronic illness, and the author of several best-selling books. He's also my father. And I wanted to bring him in today to discuss Russiagate, which is now in a new chapter. And many people are grappling with the uh, fact that Robert Mueller has just returned a, a verdict on the issue of a Trump-Russia conspiracy, which so many people were led to believe in, and, and Mueller has rejected it. And so I wanted to talk to Gabor because he writes a lot about psychology and mental health, uh, because I don't think we can understand what we just went through in Russiagate without understanding the psychological angle. So that's why he is here. Very happy to have you, Dad, on the Gray Zone. Nice to be here with you, Ryan. So we've just been through this two-year ordeal with Russiagate. It's in a new phase now with Robert Mueller rejecting uh, the outcome that so many were expecting, that there would be a Trump-Russia conspiracy. Your sense of how this whole thing has gone? What's interesting is that in the aftermath of the Mueller thunderbolt of no proof of collusion, there were articles about how people are disappointed about this finding. Now, disappointment means that you were expecting something, you wanted something to happen, and it didn't happen. So that means that some people wanted Mueller to find evidence of collusion, which means that emotionally they were invested in it. It wasn't just that they wanted to know the truth. They actually wanted the truth to look a certain way. Yeah. And whenever we want to look the truth, we want the truth to look a certain way, there's some reason it has to do with their own emotional needs and not just with the concern for reality. And in, in politics in general, although we think that people make decisions on intellectual grounds based on facts and beliefs, very often actually people's dynamics are driven by emotional forces that they're not even aware of in themselves. And I really, as I observed this whole Russiagate phenomenon from the beginning, it really seemed to me that there was a lot of emotionality in it that had little to do with the actual facts of the case. There's no question that for a lot of people in this country, the election of Trump was a traumatic event. Now, when a trauma reaction happens, which is to say you're hurt and you're pained and you're confused and you're scared and you're bewildered, there's basically two things you can do about it. One is you can own that I'm pained and I'm hurt, I'm bewildered and I'm really scared, and then try and look at what happened to bring me to that situation. Or you can, instead of dealing with those emotions, come up with some kind of explanation that makes you feel better about them. So that I've got this pain, I've got this bewilderment, I've got this fear, so that rather than looking at what does it say about American society that a man like this could even run for office, let alone get elected? Mm -hmm. What does it say about American society that so many people are actually enrolled in believing that this man could be any kind of a savior? What does that say about the divisions and the conflicts and the contradictions and, and the genuine problems in this culture? And how do we address those issues? You can look at that. Or you can say there must be a devil somehow behind all this, and that devil is a foreign power, and his name is Putin, and his country is Russia. Now you've got a simple explanation that doesn't invite you or, 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 or necessitate that you explore your own pain and your own fear and your own trauma. So I really believe that, that really this uh, Russiagate narrative was uh, on the part of a lot of people, 
a, a sign of genuine upset as something genuinely upsetting. But rather than dealing with the upset, it was an easier way to, um, in a sense, draw off the energy of it into some kind of a believable and uh, comforting narrative. It's much more comforting to believe that some, some enemy is doing this to us than to look at what does it say about us as a society. I mean, there was a massive denial of the actual dynamics in American society that led to the election of this traumatized and traumatizing individual as president, number one. So, so because you think Donald Trump himself is traumatized. Oh, Donald Trump is a mm, clearest example of a traumatized politician one can ever see. He's in denial of reality all the time. He is um, self-aggrandizing. His fundamental self-concept is that of a nobody. So he has to make himself huge and big all the time and keep proving to the world how powerful and smart, you know, what kind of degrees he's got and how smart he is. And all. It's, it's a compensation for a terrible self-image. Mm -hmm. He can't pay attention to anything, which means that his brain is too scattered because it was too painful for him to pay attention. What does this all come down to? The childhood that we know that he had in, 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 in the home of a dictatorial, child-disparaging father and a very weak... Fred Trump is fought, yeah. And, and, and who demeaned his children mercilessly. One of Trump's brothers dragged himself to death. Mm -hmm. And Trump compensates for all that by trying to make himself as big and powerful and successful as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a clear trauma example. I'm not saying this to invite sympathy for Trump's politics. I'm just describing that that's who the man is. Mm -hmm. And the fact that such a traumatized individual can be elected to the position of what they call the most powerful person in the world speaks to a traumatized society. And, and like individuals can be in denial, a society can be in denial. So this society is deeply in denial about its own trauma, and particularly, in this case, about the trauma of that election. So one, one way to deal with trauma is denial of it. Mm -hmm. The other way is to project uh, onto other people things you don't like about yourself. Now, it's only a matter of historical fact and no serious person, no serious student of history can possibly deny how the United States has interfered in the internal politics of just about every nation on earth. And interfered, by the way, is a kind term. Yeah. You talk about what the, the, the actual physical... I'm talking about mass murder. Ma manifestation, exactly. <laughs> it's mass murder in many for, cases. For yeah. example, in Chile, yeah. you know, where, where there's an elected government that, that America cheerfully overthrows, yeah. even boasts about it. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, not to mention the current interference in Venezuela, the internal politics, not to mention uh, how, as you've pointed out, and many others have pointed out, and usually boast about it on its cover, about how the United States helped Boris Yeltsin get elected in, to the in, in, you know, to, you know, so e even if it's true what the Russians have, even if it's the worst thing that's alleged about the Russians is true, it's not even one minuscule proportion of what America's public acknowledged it has done all around the world. And so this rage that we project then and, and this bad guy image that we project into the Russians, it's simply a mirror, a, a very inadequate mirror of what America publicly and openly and repeatedly does all around the world. Now, you may think that's a good thing to do. I'm not arguing about that. I'm not arguing politics. All I'm saying is projection is when we, when we project onto somebody else the things that we do ourselves. And we, and we refuse to 
uh, deal with the implications of it. So that so there's denial, and 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 then there's projection, and then um, it, it, it there's just a, something in people. I can tell you that in relationships, it's always easier to see ourselves as the victims than as the perpetrators. So there's something comforting about seeing oneself as the victim of somebody else. Nobody likes to be a victim, but people like to see themselves as victims because it means they don't have to take responsibility for what we do ourselves. I, I'm can, just, I I'm, can relate to that too. Yeah, yeah, I'm just at the effect of somebody else. Yeah. So yeah. this functions beautifully in politics and, and, and uh, populist politicians and xenophobic politicians around the world use this dynamic all the time. Mm. That whether it's Great Britain or whether it's France with their vast colonial empires, they're always the victims of everybody else. The United States is always the victim of everybody else. Yeah. You know, all these enemies that are threatening us. It's the most powerful nation on earth, which a nation that could single-handedly destroy the earth a billion times over with the weapons at its, propose, its disposal, and it's always the victim. You know, so th th this victimhood, there's something comforting about it, because it, again, it allows us not to look at ourselves. And I think there's this huge element of victimhood uh, in this um, Russiagate uh, Process. The nation and all of our freedoms hang by a thread, and the military apparatus of this country is about to be handed over to scum who are beholden to scum, Russian scum. As things are today, January 20th will not be an inauguration, but rather the end of the United States as an independent country. But the important thing here is that that Bernie Sanders lovers page run out of Albania, it's still there, still running still operating, still churning this stuff out. Now, this is not part of American politics. This is not, you know, partisan warfare between Republicans and Democrats. This is international warfare against our country. Imagine if FDR uh, had denied that the Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor and, and didn't react. That's the equivalent. Well, it's a bit of a different thing. I mean, no, it's not. They didn't kill anyone. They didn't kill anyone, but they're destroying our, our, our country. Do you our really think it's, on, you think it's on par? Not in the amount of violence, but I think in the, in the seriousness, it is very much on par. We, this country exists to have a democratic system with a small d. That's what the country's all about. And this is an attempt to destroy that. We have been uh, invaded in, in such a subtle way because we don't see planes hitting the buildings. We don't see bombs dropping in Pearl Harbor. But we have been invaded, as, as Malcolm points out. We are under attack, but we don't feel it. But it's like walking around with high blood pressure, and then all of a sudden you're not aware of it, and you drop dead. Mm -hmm. So it's insidious, and it has affected our bloodstream. And if we don't do something about it, and that's why, you know, guys like John Brennan and, and James Clapper are running around with their hair on fire because they're trying to wake people up to tell them that we have to do something about it. We have to protect ourselves, and if we don't, our 241 years of democracy and self-governance will start to collapse. And the assumption that even if you take all the things that Russia was charged with in this whole Russiagate narrative over the last two, two and a half years, and if you multiply it by 100 times, even then, it could not have possibly have destroyed the United States. Mm. Even then, what is our self-image if we think we're, we're that weak, that, that that kind of external interference could undermine everything that 
you believe this country has built over the last few centuries. So it shows to me uh, uh, a real shock reaction. And, and what has been shocked here is our beliefs and what this country is about. And again, as I said before, it, 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 it's in a sense more comforting. It, it, it's frightening, but at the same time more comforting to see the problem is coming from the outside than to search for it with amongst ourselves and within ourselves. How about then the, the aspect of this that puts so much hope into Robert Mueller, right? Because Robert Mueller was supposed to be our savior. So first of all, if we actually look at who Mueller is, who is he? He's a man who, amongst many others, was 100% convinced that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. As uh, Director Tenet has pointed out, Secretary Powell presented evidence last week that Baghdad has failed to disarm its weapons of mass destruction, willfully attempting to evade and deceive the international community. Our particular concern is that Saddam Hussein may supply terrorists with biological, chemical, or radiological material. So given that the line supported by Mueller led to the deaths of several hundred thousand Iraqi people and thousands of Americans and has incurred costs that we all are fully aware of in terms of rise in terrorism and uh, embroilment in multiple wars and situations. It takes an act of powerful historical amnesia for people to believe that this man is going to be our savior. That's the first point. Just incredible historical amnesia, number one. Number two, America, if you can judge by its TV shows, is very much addicted to the good guy, bad guy scenario. So that reality is not complex and it's not subtle and it's not a buildup of multiple dynamics, internal and external, but basically there's evil and there's good, and evil is going to be caught out by the good and destroyed by it. And that's really how the, the American narrative very often is presented. Now the same thing is projected into politics. So now if there's a bad guy called Putin and his puppet called Trump, then there has to be a good guy that's going to save us from it. Some guy in a white charger that, that's going to move in here and his silver head, patrician-looking man who's going to find the truth and, 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 and rescue us all, which again is a projection of people's hopes for uh, a truth outside of themselves onto some kind of a benevolent savior figure. Needless to say, when that savior figure doesn't uh, deliver, then we have to argue, A, that maybe he was bought off or corrupt or stupid himself or insufficient himself, or that there's something secret that has yet to be uncovered that someday will come uh, to the surface that Mueller himself was un unable to discover for himself. But, but again, this projection of hope onto some savior figure, rather than saying, okay, there's a big problem here. We've elected a highly traumatized, grandiose, intellectually unstable, emotionally unstable, uh, misogynist, uh, self-aggrandizer to power. Something in our society made that happen. And let's look at what that was and let's, let's, let's clear up those issues if we can. And let's look at the people on the liberal side 
who, instead of challenging all those issues, put all their energies into um, this foreign conspiracy explanation, because to have challenged those issues would have meant looking at their own policies, which tended in the same direction, mm -hmm. rather than looking at how under the Clintons they've jailed hundreds of thousands of people who should never have been in jail, looking at how under uh, the Bushes and under Obama there was this massive transfer of wealth upwards. Instead of asking why Barack Obama gets $400,000 for an hour speech to Wall Street, which means that maybe our faith in how our system operates needs to be shaken a bit so we can actually look at what's really going on, let's just put our attention on some foreign devil again. Yeah. So, um, and let's not reckon with the fact that these people like Barack Obama, who you know, made so many people feel so good about this yeah. country when he was elected. Yeah. I was one of them. I remember feeling very... Yeah. It was, it was a hopeful moment. Not right? for me. Well, I, I know not for you. <laughs> I, I You're said, more of a cynic than I am. I, 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 said, I, I said on, his, uh, on the day of his, uh, his inaugural that this is the high point of his presidency. It's going to be downhill from here. And of, but, but anyway, o Obama certainly represented a more positive tendency in American life. I mean, at least he spoke the right language in many ways. And he genuinely wanted probably the right things to happen. That he had no genuine commitment to them or that he had no power to effect the policies that people needed, that's another issue. Uh, that the system may would not have allowed him to do it anyway, even if he was genuinely committed. Those are separate issues. But he did represent a movement towards peace, towards um, at least internal peace, towards uh, uh, a, a, a confronting of racism. Um, certainly not global peace, but maybe not, not, certainly not, you know, on the racism front. Yeah. The, no. The, yeah. No. Globally, he was a war, war maker, like yeah. like all the other. Uh, American presidents have been, but 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 in terms of internally, he yeah. he'd represent. He wanted to stand for reconciliation as opposed to the naked uh, hostility that that, that 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 Trump represents. Mm -hmm. So there's every reason why people should have connected to, which means attach, become attached to, the Obama brand or the Obama image. And for these people that were, all of a sudden the emergence of the Trump brand, again is a huge shock. Mm. And again, it's that shock that they have great difficulty absorbing and dealing with. And so again, the, the foreign narrative is an easy, emotionally easier way to, to deal with it. Mm. And, it and, and, and it also means if you're, if you're a journalist, instead of digging into what really happened, like what actually happened in that election, how did the Democratic elite deliberately um, mar try to marginalize the progressive candidate? Mm -hmm. Like, if you ask this question, let's assume that Russia did leak those Democratic emails. Let's assume that. We don't know that they did, but we don't know that they didn't either. Yeah. Let's assume that they did. Which is the greater assault on American democracy? The fact that the Russian leaked the document or that the American national democratic leadership deliberately tried to marginalize one of their own candidates. Sure, and then also, which, which, know, which is the greater threat to sure, democracy? And, and there's many. I mean, then you have to look at what also, uh, which was the bigger uh, boost to Trump's candidacy? Was it yeah, some yeah. leaked emails, or was it billions of dollars worth of free airtime from from corporate media? Yeah. And Hillary Clinton and her people choosing not to go to the key Rust Belt swing states because they felt that the more they campaign there, the worse they do because her economic message was so unpopular. These were states that Bernie Sanders won during the primary. And 
you know, this gets to... Let me just interrupt to say that yeah. if, if I were those people then, then quite apart from the shock defense that we've already talked about, it'd be so much more convenient for me to go to the Russian narrative yeah. than to say publicly, you know what, we screwed up. Yeah, we, it, we, yeah. we, actually, we actually tried to undemocratically interfere with the democratic nomination. Um, we didn't uh, pay attention to the people that were really hurting in this society mm -hmm. because of our policies. Um, we as the press gave this man all kinds of attention that he never deserved and never merited because he was interesting news and sold copies. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of looking at ourselves again, if I were those people, I'd much rather uh, create the impression that this is all the fault of somebody else from the outside. And there's a material incentive to do it because, yeah. you know, as you've talked about, if you're the Democrats and you uh, look at the lessons of the election, you saw that people rejected your neoliberal economic yeah. legacy, that means you have to start challenging the powerful corporate sectors that you've been representing for a long time. That's and right. actually posing real alternative policies to Donald Trump. If you do that, though, you risk losing your privileged status within the power structure. And the same thing if you're in the media and you identify uh, with that faction of the power structure. As we wrap up, your advice to people for, you know, to avoid something like this in the future, or at least to give people an alternative way of, of looking at scandals like this in the future that become all-consuming, what you might want to see people uh, do, what they can look at in themselves uh, in, in relation to sort of all-consuming political, uh, quote-unquote, scandals like this? Well, first of all, I advise people to do something that I find hard to do myself, but I think it's essential, which is that when there's hard emotions there, just own them. Just own that you're hurt. Own that you're confused. Own so that in the case of Trump winning, and, and it's hurtful and, and confusing. Yeah, yeah. Just, just own it. Say, I'm hurt, I'm confused, I'm terrified. And rather than try and find an explanation right away, just own the feeling. And then when you're ready, then actually ask what happened here? W what actually happened here? What are the facts? What behaviors or beliefs on my part maybe contributed to this situation? Um, so be curious, be really curious. Uh, in terms of what the public should do, I, I don't think most people were peddling anything deliberately. I don't think most people were trying to scare anybody. I think most people were simply caught up in a kind of a tsunami of, of, of fear and paranoia and, and, and a shock reaction. If you look at American history, from the Mexican War in the 1840s to the Spanish-American Wars in the 1890s, I think, to the Vietnam War, to the Iraq War, every major, I shouldn't say every, many major movements in American history have been driven by lies and people being manipulated. And the same newspapers that will eventually publish the, the Pentagon Papers and win awards for telling the truth will never apologize for having told the, the lies in the first place that later on they had to correct. And uh, the newspapers that push the, the weapons of mass destruction narrative never apologized and said we were wrong. We contributed to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. They just carry on as if nothing happened. And when the next item comes along, 
they'll still sign on to the, to the elite narrative. Which means to say that the public needs to have some historical memory. And to know that these sources that you trust as, as, as the fountains of truth and, and, and the source of um, information, at least be critical. At least be objective. Don't be so quick to jump on board. Don't be quick to, so quick to assume that just because the whole, almost the whole media is, 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 is um, broadcasting, trumpeting a certain line, that that line represents reality. Learn from history. Learn from this one. Learn from this Russiagate thing that they were all saying for, these, for years that this is a given fact. All of a sudden it turns out not to be a given fact. Well, next time, don't be so quick to believe them. You have a line that you often uh, say in your speeches about um, being disillusioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, um, I was once in speaking in Berkeley, California, uh, speaking to a few hundred people, and this is in the first or the second Obama administration. And first, second term of the Obama administration. Yeah, yeah, and um, it was a mixed race audience. A lot of um, black people there, and a lot of white people. You know, and I asked people, how many people here have been disillusioned so far by Barack Obama? And third to half of people put their hands up. Hundreds of people put their hands up. And I said, would you rather be illusioned or disillusioned? Would you rather believe in something that's false, which means to have an illusion? Would you rather be disillusioned, in other words, to see the truth? <laughs> yeah. And I'm saying that we should be glad to be disillusioned. So this Russiagate and this ignoble end to the Russiagate narrative, it's a disillusionment for a lot of people, but that's a good thing. If they say, okay, I had this illusion, this illusion I no longer have, which means I've been disillusioned, now I can actually look at the truth. So it's good to be disillusioned. So this could be a positive beginning for a lot of people uh, if, if they take the right attitude. Rather than seeing it as a bad thing, they could see it as a good thing. And not as a good thing because it exonerates Trump. History will never exonerate Trump. And there's plenty of reasons why Trump cannot be exonerated, both for his personal uh, corruption and his uh, political misleadership. So it's not a question of exonerating anybody, but it's a question of looking at everything objectively. Let's really look at what's really going on. Let's be glad that we've been disillusioned. Now it's an opportunity to become objective and, and, and really effective. With that call for a, an, a positive mm -hmm. beginning, we'll leave this there. Uh, Dr. Okay. Gabor Mate, thanks very much. Aaron Mate, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>